0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney hello and
1: welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am Kieran mulvaney and eric we are one week away now from the super bowl on cbs he says hopelessly shilling for the corporate network and um well i don't know about you but i of course have some very strong rooting interest. As somebody who was born in old England and lives in New England, I am, of course, a lifelong devoted fan and follower of the um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, And specifically, of course, their star quarterback, Tom Brady, uh, of whom you may have heard. Uh, You know what? So I've definitely got some rooting interest there. I may even try to pretend that he doesn't pal around with a certain orange resident of the Sunshine State. Uh, (laughs) Morally compromising sport fandom. Where would we be without you? So go Bucks!
0: Yeah, Is that so, uh, yes, yes, I'm definitely convinced. Uh, I, I'd like to believe that his wife has uh, put her foot down and he doesn't pal around with the the orange guy quite so much anymore. But uh, but uh, yeah. So you're a, a lifelong Bucks fan, and uh, and meanwhile, sure. I was always more of an Andy Reid fan, really, than an Eagles fan. So uh, so the battle lines are drawn. It's my Chiefs against your <laughs> Bucks next Sunday. Pretty cool how the two teams we've both spent our whole lives supporting are in the big game. Exciting times for us, really. (laughs) Just who who could possibly have imagined? (laughs) Right. Uh, In in all seriousness, uh, reason number 3,742, why it's a good thing the Eagles won the Super Bowl three years ago. If they'd never won one, I would not be handling Andy Reid's success well. Uh, But because we got one, Philly is generally happy for Andy, it seems. But yeah, if we hadn't gotten one, we'd be looting and rioting for sure. This would be his second though, in a row. Yes, <laughs> yes. But uh, and yeah, and ideally, it would be nice if uh, the other team that I support almost as much as the Chiefs, the Eagles, right. had won two by now. But at least we've got one, so it's not a right. total disaster. So I say, go Chiefs, beat Mulvaney's Bucks. <laughs>
1: i should be taking very good care of my bucks thank you very much don't want anybody beating them um right better move on it is a quiet couple of weeks in the world of boxing uh but we have plenty to keep you at least mildly entertained if you're not already entertained um eric will be sharing his favorite needlepoint tips and i will be delving into my science writing background to guide you through the fascinating feeding strategies employed by various species of arctic phytoplankton uh never let it be said a zooplankton i should say never let it be said that uh When things are a little bit quiet on the boxing calendar, we don't have the capacity to (laughs) fill out our scheduled airtime. But we do also have some boxing to talk about. Uh, Most notably, uh, we have a great first-time guest this week. Uh, We're very excited about this. Uh, uh, It's the man of the hour. Stephen Coolboy, Steph Fulton, joining us fresh from his impressive win over Angelo Leo on Showtime Championship Boxing last week. Uh, We also have quite a few news items, actually, to talk about. And for the first time in a while, we have a mailbag to open. But let's begin with this week's guest, who is still earning plaudits from his outing last Saturday on the first Showtime Championship Boxing Card of 2021, when he threw more than 1,100 punches on his way to an exciting but dominant win over Angelo Leo to win a world title belt at 122 pounds. He's one of the most engaging up-and-coming stars in the sport right now. It is, of course, Stephen. Cool boy, Steph Fulton. Champ, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast.
2: Uh, Thanks. I appreciate
1: you. Look, first of all, congratulations on your win it was it was a tremendous fight and a very very good win um it felt kind of even through about the first third of the fight watching it at home and then it felt as if you really sort of took it by the scruff of the neck in about the fifth round and began to assert yourself after that and I'm curious what you were able to do at that point of the fight that enabled you to separate yourself and over the second half
2: I believe my condition played a major a major role in it as well as hitting him with the more silent
0: but Powerful body shots, and he
2: wasn't able to stop it.
0: Right. You you mentioned the conditioning. I I was curious about, about that because uh, I saw a tweet from uh, from Breadman saying something about how you are like the best distance runner he's ever seen in boxing. Have have you ever gotten tired in a boxing ring, or uh, what what's up with your uh, unique conditioning?
2: I wouldn't say so so much as I got tired, but I I've definitely got winded a couple
0: times, like in the past, but here on out. No. Right. Okay. Um, so Steven, you were originally scheduled to fight Angelo Leo last August, but that was nixed when you tested positive for COVID was the fight that you fought last Saturday, the same kind of fight you had planned all along or, or did you alter the game plan after watching him beat Tremaine Williams?
2: That was part of the game plan. What that part, like, I me mean, just all the way dogging him out it wasn't, yeah, the f- always the, it wasn't always the plan. Not even when mm-hmm. I got out there, that wasn't always the plan. Okay. The mm-hmm. plan changed when I got in there. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because we heard your corner sort of saying a couple times, hey, you know what, you could box him a little bit, but you clearly <laughs> saw something in there and decided you wanted to do what you wanted to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it was. So we, he just, at that point, he just kind of, like, helped me do that in a better way. Mm-hmm. So okay. it
0: wasn't necessarily – was
2: just do that, then he said he was just gonna help me do it in a more better way.
0: Hmm. So so it wasn't something specifically that you saw in his last fight against Tremaine Williams or anything. It was it was what you were seeing in the ring on the night that, that led you to fight the way you did. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um
1: so you were on that August broadcast when you could even though you couldn't fight, you 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 did an interview and after you tested positive, you looked happy and lively as could be, like the virus hadn't affected you at all. We talked to Breadman the next day and he was sick as a dog and he he really suffered. And and i subsequently you've said that you you didn't feel great with the virus. And I'm curious, were you kind of just bluffing during that interview or did it hit you later? how badly did it hit you, that
2: virus? It hit my I was coming down at that point. Okay. I had my, I had my, my, those feelings that Brayman had earlier than him. Okay. So at that moment, it was just me, just being me, just making the best out of every situation.
1: And how was it for you? I mean, it affects different people in different ways. Was it just like an energy sapping kind of thing? Like, like, what was your experience? Mine was kind
2: of like that. And it would feel like something vibrating my whole, inside of my whole body at once, like at once, for like a good five minutes, then it'll go away. Then come right back. So I didn't know. It was like a, it was bringing me up and down. I had headaches, body aches. I went running one time and my nose started bleeding. Mm. Uh, <laughs> loss of breath. So, yeah, I had everything. had. I just got over mine a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of people like take a long time to recover based on what we saw the other Saturday night. You're 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 free and clear now.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> um, so, so here's a question. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but do you feel that the postponement ultimately worked to your advantage because Leo impressed so many people with the way he beat Williams? So it made your win o- over him much bigger than it would have been in August. For sure. I feel like everything happens for a reason. Uh, And that's and
2: that's kind of how I looked at the situation after all.
0: Right. Okay. so so it's just one of those things where not that he was any different of a fighter when you fought him than he would have been necessarily over the summer. But this is a a case of being able to capitalize on the credit that he built up and and you beating him at the right time, you feel like. Yes.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. You changed trainers before this fight and you sort of didn't say very much about it. You said that you maybe have some some more to say about it later. It obviously worked really well for you, not just with your (laughs) game plan going in, but your adaption on the night. Uh, What was the rationale for changing your your trainer? And and I assume you guys are going to stick together going forward.
2: Uh, I would say,
1: being honest...
2: That was that was the better decision for that fight, and not only that, I've learned more with that person rather than him. Okay, like or, or in due time.
0: All right, but it sounds like you're still keeping some of it close to the vest. You don't want to say exactly what's yeah. going on here. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> Is it true? I read somewhere that you and Wahid actually sparred during camp. Is that right? I've never heard oh, of yeah, a yeah, trainer yeah. sparring a fighter me,
2: before. He sparred me for like two weeks. <laughs> straight for that fight uh and, and it was around the time we started getting tested we got tested like the second and third week of camp is when i was sparring him
0: did, did he make for a good sparring
2: partner yeah he used to box he was professional okay
0: <laughs> Yeah. all right so he <laughs> i assume i assume he can't keep up with you uh quite currently but he was nah, able to give you good work nah. at least no nah, yeah i was body beating him <laughs> um so i want want to ask you a little about your style and where it came from uh we we've seen you now box from the outside we've seen you throw a thousand punches in a fight trade on the inside you clearly have the ability to adapt your style um i'm curious is the way that you approach boxing inspired by anyone who came before you is there some boxer whose style you admired and you modeled parts of your game after him
2: no, I feel like I kind of have my own style of, as uh, along with taking parts and bits from other fighters and, and adding it to, and putting it all in, back into my style. So I feel like I kind of have my own style. But I I think that comes from just me just always being myself, you know, being goofy. And just, I just pip my cool, <laughs> that cool boy stuff into my
0: my boxing game. Yeah, you're definitely definitely relaxed and comfortable in there and, and doing your thing. Yeah, you...
2: I, I think that's the best way to be more relaxed in there rather than tense. <laughs> right. Intense. right. right.
0: Um, but so you said you did take bits and pieces to integrate them together. Are there any specific fighters that, that yep. you idolized coming up? I like I like,
2: of course, Floyd. You gotta say mm-hmm. Floyd. Uh Pernell. I like Pernell. I like Roy. Mm-hmm. So it was like I, I take bits and pieces of everyone as well as people that I come up in the gym around.
0: Mm. Right. Okay. So definitely definitely some of the the slick boxers are, are the guys who uh inspired you. I'll give you a quick uh, quick Mayweather question since he was one of your favorites. So we saw what he did to uh to Manny Pacquiao in 2015. Would that fight have been any different if it had happened 5 years earlier when people were first talking about it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been a lot different. Uh Pacquiao would have and Pacquiao would have won eight more rounds. I feel like he'd have engaged a lot more in that fight, and I just feel like Pacquiao was a lot more slower, and Mm. you know how you know I'm trying to say. I just, but hey, he got the job done.
1: Right. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay.
2: Let's let's
1: let's look ahead a little bit because you know now you're you're in a good position, a great position actually, after after beating Angelo Leo. Uh there's a lot of talk that Brandon Figueroa and Luis Neri are gonna meet up sometime really soon. Uh the winner of that seems a very makeable fight for you. Would that be top of your list?
2: Yes, that is
1: top of my list. Do you have a preference as to as to who comes out of that?
2: I think Neri pulls it off but a part of me still says Brandon Raw we might see a different Brandon Figueroa. he might bring a little bit more dog okay. but I still think Neri pulls it off.
1: You'd you probably have to have like a stipulation with Luis Neri with his weight right like he can't weigh in like 10 pounds too too much. Like he has a habit of really blowing weight.
2: <laughs> we all do <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very, very honest. Um, what one other opponent uh to consider? uh Rai Salim looked looked impressive in the co-main last Saturday, and then came out afterwards to watch your fight. I know you're focused on on unifying, but is that a fight that, that you would take?
2: Would I like if it was presented?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take it. Okay, but it's not. It's it's. But you prefer the Figueroa Neri winner, right? Yeah, yeah, I missing.
2: prefer. I prefer the the, the bigger fights. Okay.
0: So I mean Not is saying your that,
2: that wouldn't be a good fight.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: I prefer like to chase bigger fights right now.
0: Right. So is is the thought with Aleem that you want that fight but ideally you want it 2-3 fights from now when you guys have both built it up into something bigger like than when it would he be. I he built
2: himself up a lot more.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Not mm-hmm. saying
2: that if it wasn't presented next fight or the fight after I wouldn't take it. I'm just right. saying I feel like if he had built himself up a lot bit a lot more, it the fight would be even more better. Just, right. just how like Angelo Leo was when he won against Tremaine, then leading up oh, yeah. into this fight again.
0: Right. And, and did you get so, a like, chance, did you get a chance to watch rice's fight uh, from, from last weekend?
2: I was watching in the locker room.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so did you have any, any particular thoughts on, on, uh, you know, is he impressing you more than maybe you would have thought uh, or how serious a contender do you view him as? No,
2: I don't, honestly, I don't, see him as a serious contender for myself mm-hmm. because I'm better than him and I'm slicker than his slickness I'm quicker than his quickness I'm stronger than his power so it's like I don't really see him as a threat to me and I know our styles is way different I feel like my style is a lot more slicker and his a lot more reckless with it mm. I think he's a lot more reckless with his with
0: his. We gotta work on your confidence a little, Stephen. I, <laughs> I think we, we gotta we gotta build up your confidence. You're not you're not you don't believe in yourself enough.
2: Oh, I believe in myself.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so look, man, your division is absolutely stacked. Uh there's you, there's still Angelo Leo, um, Aleem, Neri, Figueroa, Atmodaliev's there, Roman's still around, tremendous like fighters at the top of that division. There could be another one. There's some talk that maybe in the not too distant future, the bantamweight champ, no way, might move up to 122, which would really be something to add to the mix. How would you tackle the monster and, and how much would you like to have a crack at him?
2: Oh, that'd be a good fight. If he was to move up and decide he want to fight, oh, we could fight. Yeah. That would be a nice fight. Yeah. I still see myself winning. Y'all, I feel like people still have yet to see what I can do. Mm. but uh, it's okay i'm gonna continue to you know put that work in the gym and i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna show you
1: do you feel you're one of those guys like a lot of fighters honestly actually show us more and perform better against the better level of opposition you know like you have the opportunity when you're in a really good fight with a tough op- opponent to actually show so much more do you think you're going to be one of those guys
2: for sure i always step up mm. no matter the competition so safe to say we haven't seen the best of stephen fulton yet no, yeah, no, nah, yeah, I haven't seen it Y'all just seen something that I always like to do in, in the gym, like just bang and walk forward. and I like, I like to fight when I'm in the gym, hmm, right. but my coaches just don't be wanting me to do that in a fight. They just want me to box. They say it's more easier when I box.
0: Right. Yeah. Hey, we've seen a lot of fighters over the years give in to that uh, that temptation, that that urge. Like Arturo Gatti's a guy who comes to mind. Like he could box, but he just loved to fight, and he couldn't help himself. So there's a little of that in you, I guess.
2: <laughs> like Earl Smith said, man, boxing get boring sometimes. <laughs> 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 they do. Right.
0: right. Uh, all right. So so last topic here, Stephen. Uh, you're from Philly. Uh, I'm from Philly. Uh, well. Not really. I'm from the burbs. Uh, so I, people who are really from Philly probably don't count. Don't count. Me being from Philly. But um, but I've rooted for all the Philly sports teams all my life. Now, I'm curious. Uh, the listeners might not realize we're on Zoom. We can see each other. You've got a, a Lakers sweatshirt on there. Does that mean you are uh, a Lakers fan more than a Sixers fan? I'm a Kobe Bryant fan. OK. All right. So he's got the Philly roots. OK. What, yeah. So what,
2: what about football, though? Are you an Eagles fan? I'm, I'm rock with the Eagles. I don't watch football as much, though, but I'll rock with the Eagles.
0: Okay, but basketball is more your sport. Boxing. I, well, uh, I just <laughs> like boxing. Okay, uh, but as as far as uh, basketball, since we're coming off uh, a week where the Sixers and the Lakers just played a big game against each other, uh, I'm a Sixers fan. How far do you think they're going this year? Do you, do you feel like uh, Joel Embiid and those guys could make a deep I feel run? Like Joel, I
2: feel like Joel can lead, I feel like he can lead the, uh, the team.
0: Okay. Uh, but, you know, for, for now, you're, uh, you're you're Philly's only champion. Uh, so uh, you, you you probably don't want the Sixers, uh, you know, sharing that spotlight with you. You want it all oh, to no, yourself?
2: Yeah, I guess I do.
0: All right. So you, you'll <laughs> I accept. Want all okay. All, all the Phillies. All right. Great. Well, then uh, let's let that happen. All, all the Philly teams and all the fighters as champions at once. Oh, I could for settle sure. for that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Champ, look, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, you're great to watch in the ring. You're a lot of fun to talk to outside of it. Uh, congratulations again on a fantastic start to the year. All the best for the rest of 2021. And I hope you'll join us back on the podcast again.
2: Thanks. I appreciate you
1: Thanks again to Stephen for joining us. Um, I don't know if it comes across in the audio. We did we did the interview over Zoom, and like I said, I don't know if you can actually tell just by listening to it, but he was smiling pretty much throughout that interview. Uh, he's really a hugely likable guy, I, I think, and and you've got to figure that's only – going to help him as he becomes a bigger name in the sport you you really want to root for the guy don't you
0: yeah uh, agree the the lakers hoodie is somewhat difficult (laughs) to forgive uh perhaps i'm more hardcore true philly than cool boy steph after all uh but uh yeah he has he has a certain charisma that you can see maybe more than the listeners will hear i'm not sure we'll see what the the feedback is like but you know between Him and Boots Ennis, uh, Philadelphia Boxing, might be on the verge of having a moment here. And uh, it's cool to be able to document the rise of these young fighters uh, on our podcast. Definitely, definitely. All right. Uh, It's time for
1: us to do something we haven't done in a while. And that's open the mailbag. Uh, We put out a request
0: for questions. Uh, You guys out there answered the call. So uh, let's get right to it, shall we? Indeed. Uh, And we begin with one from Rob Rigler at Riggs22, who asked... What's your favorite medium or small, (parentheses less than 10K capacity venue that you've ever witnessed a fight from? What do you say, Karen?
1: Mm, there's several, actually. Um, actually, some of my favorite venues to watch fights at are those medium to small ones. Uh, I like the theater at Madison Square Garden, um, especially since they renovated the entire facility a decade or so back um that's the, the small room at the garden i mean the acoustics are good there media seating is excellent which is yeah. also the factor that you know you, we we think about uh, it's but you know how accessible are the bathrooms what's the Wi-Fi like where where do they put the media all those kind of things but that, that's all good there spectator seating ceiling seems great it's a uh, it's sort of like a three-quarter situation with spectators right. um, uh, and the ceiling lights especially since the renovation make for really attractive backdrop for photograph and broadcast and the whole thing just has a really good vibe and the fans are often pretty raucous there uh I like the Chelsea at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas um, for many of the same reasons. Just, you know, good acoustically, good media seating. Uh, there was that one time where I was very grumpy there after you and I and a bunch of HBO people had spent far too long walking there from the MGM. Uh, yes. Really? Me with the but that aside, that aside I do like watching fights there. Um, I enjoyed the Salle des Etoiles in Monaco, which mm. actually had terrible media seating and facilities and was very, very snobby, but I only mentioned it just to bring home the fact that i once covered a fight in monaco um but the favorite i think has to be what i think is now called the dignity health park um the former stub hub right um it's a bit of a bear to get to as are most things in greater los angeles but gosh there's nothing like being ringside outside on a warm Southern California evening watching two people beat the snot out of each other and and there's something as we've discussed and many others have discussed plenty of times there's something about that venue that seems to consistently bring out the best uh in fighters um I've been there for a lot of good fights I was there for the last night of HBO boxing um but actually funnily enough for me I still think like my most vivid memory of that venue it was The night that Gennady Golovkin really became Gennady Golovkin, where he really broke through, that was when he just beat up poor Marco Antonio Rubio in front of a mostly Latino crowd, it seemed, many of whom were wearing Mexicans for Triple G hats. That was the first time I realized that Golovkin had really broken through and was at that venue. So, um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind, I think.
0: What about you? Well, I'm glad that uh, you went first on this, because my answer required no thought whatsoever. This is just way too easy a question for me, partially because I haven't been to some of the venues you mentioned, uh, the theater at Madison Square Garden uh, and the the, the one at the Cosmo being the exceptions there. But uh, this is so easy for me. It's the Blue Horizon. Uh, I wonder. I wish I had a
1: chance to go to the Blue Horizon.
0: Yeah, it's definitely it's on the small, not the medium side. It held a little under 1500 people and there was nothing else quite like it in my experience covering boxing. Um, And I'll just recommend to everyone, you know, the Blue Horizon is not uh, hosting fights anymore, but, uh, you know, there are venues somewhat like it out there. When club fights return and spectators are allowed at those fights again, I really recommend everyone, you know, support your local promoters by buying a ticket and go see a club show. It's often a great experience, regardless of whether the fighters are any good or the matchmaking is any good. There's a purity to it. It yep. isn't quite the same when you know the fighters are millionaires and they're entering the ring to pyrotechnics and so forth. And and you know, not that going to mega fights isn't great, also, but club fights are, are are a cool experience in a different way.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, absolutely. The atmosphere is often is often different, and uh, yeah, they're, 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 yeah, it's it's a, it's a really excellent experience. So yes, hopefully, and honestly, local promoters are going to need it. So yes. they've been really struggling. So yeah, whenever we are able to do that. Definitely do that if you haven't uh, done before. Uh, moving on, Dan Gray at Ed Pickenkey asks In your opinion, is Errol Spence taking a page out of the Canelo playbook and attempting to age out
0: Bud Crawford by stalling on that fight? So th- this is interesting. I'll start by sort of slightly disputing the premise, just that yeah. I-, I think that accusation against Canelo with Triple G is a little overstated. Um, I think he was aging himself in as much as mm-hmm. he was aging Golovkin out. You know, Remember, he'd taken the big payday and the shot against Mayweather before he was really ready. And he really only stalled Triple G for, what, about a year or so after that fight became viable. So... Eh, Let's not act like he was waiting for Golovkin to appear washed or anything like that. Uh, In any case, is Spence trying to age Crawford out? I don't think so. Uh, It's a reasonable question to ask, but Bud is only 33. Hasn't shown the slightest sign of decline yet. Spence might have to stall for another two or three years at least before he's really improving Mm. his chances of winning. Um, Of course, I'm sure our listeners saw some of the back and forth on Twitter this week between these two, which is just annoying if if they're not going to get serious about (laughs) fighting each other. Um, I honestly wouldn't place the blame too heavily on one over the other right now. As best I can tell, they're both failing to do what it takes to make the fight happen. But Spence can be forgiven a bit more because he has all these other options and he's been beating some A-level or at least A-level minus opponents, whereas Crawford has very few options at 147 if he can't get Spence. So, you know, bicker on Twitter all you want, point fingers all you want. It's meaningless if you aren't working seriously behind the scenes to make the fight. Uh, to, To answer Dan's question. It's a good question, you know, worth considering. But ultimately, I say no. I- I'm disappointed that Spence doesn't seem in a rush to make the fight. But I don't think he's calculating, well, it's a 50-50 fight now. But if I fart around for a couple of years, then I know I'll beat him. I, I don't believe he's playing that sort of long game, in part because it would be such a long game at this point. What do you think, Karen?
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I mean, and I think there's always a sort of kind of jockeying that goes on in negotiation whether it's actual serious negotiation or social media posturing like you were talking about i mean any fighter is looking to strike that perfect balance between risk and reward right and wanting to fight mm-hmm. opponents that will give you titles and fame and fortune but trying to do so at the best possible time um i, I agree with you i don't think that that's spencer's consideration but to, to to sort of follow on from the point that you made i do think that he's pu- fully aware that the pressure is really more on crawford to get yeah. the fight done uh, than it is on him uh, I, I you know like you said errol's already headlined a few pay-per-views he's got further options i think he's quite happy to sit back and make Crawford kind of squirm and and come to him and put the onus on him. But like you said, at the end of the day, it is going to be dependent on them both to make it happen. And obviously most people are thinking that that's going to be the end of this year after Bud's promotional situation changes. But, uh, but but yeah, no, I I agree with you. I don't think
0: age is the factory here. All right. Uh, Our next mailbag question is an excellent one, which came in via email from Will Alston. Uh, It's a lengthy one, but, uh, but worth reading in full. Here we go. If you could reverse one of these questionable decisions, which would it be? Ward Kovalev won, Whitaker Chavez, Mayweather Castillo won, Charlo Korobov. Uh, And I should point out that Will isn't necessarily including these because they're the most egregious decisions the sport has ever seen, with maybe one exception, but because a change in the outcome might have led to some interesting sliding doors moments, which he lays out here. So, uh, continuing with Will's email, he provides a, a little guidance. He writes. Ward Kovalev won, hoping Kovalev stays on track and unifies against Stevenson and goes on to have a first ballot Hall of Fame career. Whitaker-Chavez, simply because it was a black eye on boxing on such a huge stage and stained Whitaker's legendary career while not enhancing Chavez's. Mayweather-Castillo won. Hoping Floyd still becomes an all-time great, but doesn't become a huge crossover star who conned the public thinking he's TBE based on being undefeated and somewhat hurting the sport where young fighters are so afraid to risk a loss. Also, Floyd may have decided to take bigger challenges instead of taking favorable matchups to protect his O. Charlo Korobov close fight that could have gone either way, but an upset on short notice for a legit title would have been a career-defining achievement with lucrative rematch for hard luck Korobov, whose luck only got worse after this fight. So uh, what do you think, Kieran? Which decision do you change? So they're all good options, and I like the fact that he didn't just pick
1: the four you know four of the most notoriously awful decisions but right. that there was i like the sliding doors element here um let's take the egregious one first <laughs> um whitaker chavez um yeah look you want to see the right decision rendered for history's sake but as it turned out you know i, I don't think it derailed or was considered a black mark in whitaker's career at all because everybody right. who knew anything about it knew damn well that he should have won that fight um if anything it It just sort of added to his luster, I think, that, uh, you know, that he'd been conned out of a a win against Chavez and probably just added another chip to both his shoulders, helped him drive him onwards. And Chavez had his first official loss three fights later anyway. So I don't think much would have changed other than it would have been that if you change that, you have a sense that there's an obvious wrong being being corrected there. Um, Charlo Korobov, look, it was a close fight. You could certainly have given Korobov the win. And he's a really good dude. Who, who you know as will says just you know has had a lot of bad luck just hasn't had fortune smile on him at all but the available evidence suggests that his body was about to break down anyway because that's certainly what it's been doing since right. you know it would have been nice if he'd had that one title win before it did but you know if you want nice stories pick another sport um <laughs> ward kovalev one is an interesting one i i've forgotten but i think I think I had Andre winning that fight by one point but I might it might be the other hmm. way around. I might have had Sergey winning it by one point. That was a, it was a one point fight in my mind right. from
0: ringside. I, I know I one. had I had Kovalev by one with Andre closing the gap closing closing but coming up one point short. But yeah, I, I might have been the same then. I, I can't quite remember. Um it's an interesting one. This
1: I think really does possibly fit into the sliding doors thing. You know, Kovalev's a classic bully and it does feel that losing this fight began his unraveling you know Mm. by the the mood was very different for the rematch he was feuding with john david jackson there was a lot of unpleasantness and then after that loss he hit the booze hard that was when he you know swerved off the road and 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 crashed his car wound up visiting a monastery in in greece to try and put his head together kovalev might have gone on to do more he won i'm not sure he would have ever gotten the stevenson fight i don't think stevenson ever wanted that fight um but even if he, the option was there for him to have done more, I'm not sure he deserved to. And, and given s- the subsequent accusations of violent assault, giving his tendency to make racist comments, not as I enjoyed interacting with him personally, I'm not going to use my alternate universe machine on him. Um so that leaves us with Mayweather Castillo, which is an interesting one also. I used to also subscribe to the theory that had Castillo gotten that nod that Mayweather would have been, you know, freer to take on bigger challenges and, and, right. and less fixated on the O. But first of all, we don't know that maybe he would have been more reluctant to take on fights where he might lose. I, I, I don't know. We would have been spared the TBE nonsense. Uh, And that right there makes it almost worthwhile. Um, But it should also be noted that at the end of the day, you know, there's a a lot of talk and some of it's justifiable about how Floyd was almost as good a matchmaker for himself as he was a boxer. But let us not forget that after that fight, uh, his resume... Includes jose luis castillo again mm-hmm. he, he got right back in the ring with him let's not forget miguel Cotto, canelo alvarez manny pacquiao zab judah marcus maidana twice jane mosley oscar de la hoya ricky hatton and arturo gaddy among others did he take on as you mentioned already canelo before canelo was ready yep did he take on Cotto, pacquiao and mosley past the peaks sure um was he a total asshole with the way he set everything up with Juan Manuel Marquez? Yes. Um, but it also gets us back to that question about Spencer Crawford. He was sort of maximizing his sort of potent winning potential because he had the stroke to do so. And he had that because of what he'd achieved. So, and let's not forget four years after he dominated Pacquiao in a dull bout that we figured showed Pacquiao was past it. Pacquiao beat Keith Thurman. And a few years after he lost to Mayweather, Miguel Cotto won the middleweight championship of the world. So they couldn't have been that washed up. Um, Plus, I wasn't ringside, but I watched the first Mayweather-Castillo fight from my couch, and I actually thought he won it. But mm. simply because it would have spared us <laughs> years and years and years of TBE, if I have to pick one, I'll pick Mayweather-Castillo. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a, that's that's a good reason. And you're, you know, I hadn't thought about the fact that maybe nothing else about Mayweather really changes. Um, but that one thing definitely does the, the TBE argument is dead without the zero. Um, So these are really interesting choices uh, that will gave us. And uh, the, the one that isn't that interesting that I can cross off quickly is, is Charlo Korobov. It, I I thought the right guy got it and Korobov winning is good for Korobov, but not for anybody else uh, really. So, but the other three, it's interesting. Mayweather Castillo, has the most fascinating butterfly effect potential. As, as you said, it might have changed a lot of things. It might not have changed much. We really don't know. Um, Ward Kovalev definitely alters each man's legacy. It's mm-hmm. probably the difference between whether Kovalev does or doesn't get into the Hall of Fame at all and... Ward gets in anyway, but he might not have been a first ballot guy without the zero at the end of his record, especially in a tough year like this when he landed on the ballot. Yeah, hey, I mention- think of it. Miguel might have gotten in this year. Yeah, I'm changing my pick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and not to- Miguel also might have gotten in because maybe Ward isn't on the ballot this year because who knows if he ends his career right, at the same point. point. Uh point. maybe maybe it's a trilogy against Kovalev or and he fights a couple years longer, who knows. Um Whitaker Chavez was the biggest ripoff by far, although at least it was a draw, not a loss for Whitaker. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to say Mayweather just to see how the last 18 or 19 years mm. of boxing play out. But mm. it, it wasn't necessarily a bad decision. I, I scored that fight a draw myself. Okay. Um I probably ultimately go Whitaker chavez uh, Boxing people view it as a win for Sweet Pea anyway, but he was denied his rightful status as the first to beat Chavez. It was a bad night for boxing in terms of fringe fans being disgusted and mm. the mainstream media having a good excuse to rag on the sport. You're writing a true wrong there by changing that one. So that's the one I lean toward. Fair enough, Yeah. All right. Here's one
1: finally from, I believe, a first time mailbag contributor, uh, a Steve Farhood, who is, uh, I believe, uh, an up and coming boxing writer and broadcaster. Obviously, we like to nurture uh, young talent here. So thanks, Stevie, for writing in. Um, He asks a question to which many inquiring minds want to know the answer. Simply this. How come you have never had Jim Bag as a podcast guest? Does he bring too much heat? Yeah, Eric, what's up with that? <laughs> haven't we
0: had Jim Bag on the podcast, though? Uh, we, sort uh, of, way, haven't we? Yeah. Don't we every week, in a way? Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Steve is talking about, uh, Jim Bagg was a columnist for World Boxing Magazine and later for The Ring. He was a fictional creation of people on the staff who came before me but uh, this is not a secret anymore. It hasn't been a secret for about a decade or so now. I was Jim Bag from 1998 or so until his final column in, I believe, 2011. But one or more people were Jim Bag before me. Um, it was a really fun way to write. Uh, to, <laughs> to, to any fellow writers, if you've never tried writing as another character, it is somewhat freeing, not just because it's anonymous and consequence-free, although I think that's a part of it, but mostly because you can write in a style that isn't exactly your own. Uh, that said, I wasn't quite 100% successful in masking my voice. Um, I, was, I was about 98% successful. I, I don't think too many people knew it was me, but a couple of the smarter, sharper people in boxing figured it out, uh, two in particular. And if if I told these stories on past podcasts, forgive me, but uh, Farhood called me on it, this up-and-coming writer you mentioned, this Stevie <laughs> Farhood. He called me on it when... I wrote the famous Jim Bag line about Steve looking like he combed his hair with a piece of toast. He reached out to ask if I was Jim Bag. He, he, had, he had assumed I was, but now he had to know for sure after reading that line. Uh, and the even better one was Jim Bag wrote something about Max Kellerman struggling during a post-fight interview on HBO once, and Jim Lampley called me, and he said, I read Jim Bagg's latest column... And I wanted to tell you, Max had a producer in his ear. He was getting conflicting signals about what to do. It wasn't his fault the way it might have looked on TV. So I just wanted to tell you that. Please let Jim Bag know.
1: <laughs>
0: Pretty funny stuff. Uh, Jim is a smart cookie. Uh, I felt a little like uh, Fredo getting the kiss of death from Michael Corleone. Lamps was basically calling me to say, I know it was you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and one more note on, on this topic, if you'll indulge me. Uh, Detloff and I were going to have Jim Bag on Ring Theory once. Uh, we, we knew this guy who had a perfectly gravelly, old man-sounding voice to play Jim Bag, And so we were going to have him on, on Ring Theory, basically reading a script that we would write for him, and we'd pretend, you know, see, Jim Bag is a real person. Uh, but our, our guy bailed on us. I forget why. Uh, but he backed out, and uh, and that was that. We never did have Jim Bag on. Uh, but not because, uh, you know, to answer Farhood's question, uh, he brings too much heat. That was not the reason. <laughs> It was
1: many, many years before I knew that Jim Bag was you, but I used to enjoy reading Jim Bag columns in in the ring. And now I wish that I still had some of those old rings and could read them knowing that it was you writing them. <laughs> uh, one, th- The one thing that I that really, the two things that really register with me, my memories of Jim Bag columns of the A, obviously he was an asshole, but... <laughs> Um, B was also. I just loved the way, and knowing you now, and picturing you writing it, I can imagine you cracking up when you were doing it. The way he would always refer to himself in a variety of third persons, <laughs> right? You know, the Bagster, Bagarama, the old <laughs> right. Bagmeister, and I could just now picture you sitting down and just. <laughs> cracking yourself up coming up with another one of those for each column
0: it's funny so that was that obviously predated me the the person or people who were jim bag before me came up with that shtick and i just and anyone who wrote as jim bag had to continue it that was actually my least favorite part of it because it, it, it became like a real there was like I don't know, I felt like I had used up all my ideas fairly early oh. on and then it was there was just this pressure to well I've got to come up with you know I can repeat a few, I'll throw a bagarama in here and a, and a bagmeister there but <laughs> but you but I have to come up with a couple of new ones each column and it was kind of a chore after a while. Oh, Really. Well, yeah. There you go. Do you know who your antecedents were? I do. I do, and it and, remains a secret. Uh, yeah, I don't know that uh, that the secret uh, is out on uh, him or them, so uh, it is not my place to reveal okay. anything.
1: Okay, oh, well, these kids today—they have no idea what they're messing with their <laughs> social media accounts and their YouTube news.
0: Yeah, Jim, Jim Bag is on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's true. He, he, tweets, he tweets about once every three years, but uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> all right look many thanks to everyone who wrote
1: in uh, especially little Stevie Farhood there um <laughs> that, that was fun uh we also had quite a few people reach out to us about last week's top five list um if you recall two weeks ago, I set Eric the challenge of coming up with five vaunted prospects who turned out to be busts and uh, last week Eric gave me his list I offered a few other suggestions um, and a few listeners brought up other names that we didn't mention uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, who I'm pretty sure is not the real Ravishing Rick Rude for, right. because A, the real Ravishing Rick Rude is dead and B, the Twitter handle of Ravishing Rick Rude is at black underscore Gatsby um, wrote to say what I'd like to have right now <laughs> It's for you, fat podcasters, to sit down and acknowledge that Frankie's Gomez and Gavin are good shouts, highly thought of. <laughs>
0: um, Eric, how do you like that one?
1: Eh, not, not bad.
0: You got you got the wording right. I'm not sure the actual yeah, voice I impression know. was all that strong, but yeah.
1: I have never been mistaken for ravishing Rick Roots, so I'm I'm <laughs> not 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 the, not the same six pack abs yeah no not even yeah no we're just not even going down that road okay uh, <laughs> uh, eric aragon at tlk boxing talk also suggested frankie gomez as well as joel julio and ike beabuchi you did mention uh Beabucci in your sort of dishonorable mention list i guess um our regular correspondent moose at sandy moose 0408 also suggested julio um i think the frankie gomez suggestion in particular is excellent i can't believe mm-hmm. i forgot it um a clear waste of, of talent uh he had real motivational issues i mean on the one hand i don't know that he was super duper hyped in the way that some of the ones that we mentioned were but within boxing i think he was a kid that people were looking at and and certainly golden boy had high hopes for i um he turned up overweight a couple times i was uh at the way in he was not supposed to be on the undercard for canelo kirkland in Houston. And he was something ridiculous, like five pounds over right. uh, for, for that. I, I've forgotten how much it was. Then he had a couple more fights, and then he just disappeared. I mean, he literally disappeared. Nobody involved in boxing had any idea where he went. There have been sightings of him subsequently, but he was he was just gone. Um, Joel Julio, I don't know. Was he that hyped? I mean, apart from the fact that Dan Rayfield liked him and called him the love child, uh, was he that hyped? I mean, he struck me as a guy who had a lot of potential people were paying attention to and didn't and had a good career, but not a great one. And I don't know if that really sets them apart from most fighters really. Um, but, but yeah, definitely, definitely Frankie Gomez. Very good shout
0: there. Yeah. Um, I'll admit to just completely forgetting about the Frankies yeah. and Gomez in particular was the guy who had some people saying, you know, watch out, this guy's going to be the next big thing. And then nothing ever happened. Um, julio i had the same feeling as you i did think of him when i was putting this together he fits but his hype was a little different than most of these mega hyped prospects he didn't turn pro with hype he started getting hype after appearing on some off tv undercards maybe 12 15 fights or so into his career as far as i knew at the time it was dan uh and 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 me uh uh, i was i was the other one who was really blowing him up but I didn't have a fraction of Dan's audience, so it so it really became Dan's pet thing that, you know, Joel Julio is going to be special. Dan gave him his nickname, as he said, and then Julio soon fizzled. But because it was mostly the hype of one and a half people, basically, (laughs) I, I, I don't I didn't think he warranted cracking my list for that reason. Um so uh, Eric Aragon, uh, who who gave us some of that feedback, he also brought up Felix Verdejo, uh, who I did mention toward the end of my list of, of others last week. And then we got uh, Homer, at Homer, uh, who is rapidly becoming one of our most dependable contributors. Also suggested Frankie Gomez, and he added Sean Estrada to the list. Uh, and Andy Bowen, at Andy Bowen, wrote... For a prospect-turned-bust, I had Sean O'Sullivan, 84 Olympic silver medalist who was a big thing in Canada until Simon Brown mauled him in three on an NBC card. Stephen Brunt's book Mean Business covers his career. Um, I remember Estrada. He was a total bust, but I don't think the hype was that big. Kind of just one of many Olympic prospects. Um, As for O'Sullivan, he was slightly before my time, and... I guess the legend of his hype hasn't really endured because I hadn't heard much about him. But looking at his record, he does seem to fit. Uh, but ultimately, no regrets for me over anyone I left out other than maybe Chuck Davy, who you suggested last week. Right. Uh, that that was the one that, that stood out that I thought uh, I, I wish I'd thought of. Um, there weren't any others. Uh, that I really felt like I'd missed. Uh, Kieran, thoughts thoughts on these other suggestions from the listeners here?
1: I, I did think about Sean O'Sullivan also. Not that I'd heard of him, but, you know, I mentioned that the, I found a Graham Houston column right. um, from a while back, and he was in that, and he seemed interesting, and I did think about him, but, you know, passed on him in the end. And rather like Frankie Gomez, I'd forgotten all about Sean Estrada. Um, I, I think, to be fair, though, as I reminded myself about him, I think, It wasn't so much he was a bust, but I just think he got injured a lot, right? And I think he had Mm -hmm. to have some surgeries, and he just – he was undefeated, I think, at the end, and just walked away, I think. So um, he didn't walk away because, like, Gomez was just too fat. Well, uh, I, ju- I just think he got hurt a lot. So, um, but anyway, uh, I love uh, the fact that we're getting feedback on these top five lists. Yep. We figured when we decided to do them that people would be into them. Really appreciate everyone writing in, and uh, and it's good actually. People have had like really good suggestions for for pe- for names we've missed for both of these lists, or for the previous lists that we've done. Um, we're enjoying doing them. Let's keep it going, Eric. It is your turn to set me a challenge for next week. What's on tap, buddy?
0: Uh, So it's interesting you mentioned the suggestions that we're getting because people are also starting to suggest ideas for lists. And um, we got one on Twitter from another person who regularly contributes feedback, David Cushion. He suggested the top five mega hyped fights that fell very short of expectations. I like the idea. But not right now, because we just did a negative one. Kieran gave me the hyped fighters who fell short. This is just the fights version of that. I don't want to go right back to the disappointment well. But David gave me the inspiration for a different idea. What if we flip it? Kieran, your assignment next week is to give me your top five classics that people didn't see coming. Essentially, good one. Yeah. So great fights that were. Underhyped going in, uh, plenty to choose from there in boxing history, including maybe something extremely recent. Uh, but, <laughs> that's uh, the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, but I'll say no more. I'll let you weigh various factors as you as you wish and get back to me next week with your top five classic fights that I don't want to say that nobody saw coming. That would be too limiting. But top five classic fights that few people saw coming.
1: That's a good one. That's gonna actually require some thinking and work and stuff
0: <laughs> sorry should i come up with something different <laughs> would you something Top easy boxers
1: whose names begin with a <laughs>
0: there we go that's probably not easy either <laughs> we'll figure it
1: out all right no that's a good one i like okay. that one very very much and that's definitely the kind of thing that people are going to have uh, opinions about as well yeah, so all righty okay let's turn to the week's news uh eric Uh, For me, actually, uh, we had a whole flood of stuff at the very end here. But nonetheless, I'm going to stick with what I thought was the main event by about midweek. It centers for me on on two of the brightest prospects slash contenders in the welterweight division. Virgil Ortiz and a guy you mentioned earlier, Jerome Boots Ennis. Both are unbeaten. Uh, Ortiz is 22 years old and 16-0 with 16 KOs. Ennis is 23 years old and 26-0 with 24 KOs. And although no official announcements of the media, I believe, uh, both are widely reported to be on the verge of agreeing their next fights. Both are important steps up. Uh, NS is seemingly facing off against Sergei Lipinets on Showtime on April 10th, while Ortiz is looking to go up against former 140-pound titleist Maurice Hooker on March 20th on DAZN. Eric... I love both of these fights for both these young men at this stage of their careers. What do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. How could you not be excited for fights like these? It's interesting. In both of these cases, I don't have much trouble making a winner pick. You know, as as solid as Lipinets is, as dangerous as Hooker is, I see them both as very clear underdogs because I regard Ennis and Ortiz that highly. Um, But they are both tremendous steps up, as you said, relative to the opponents these prospects have faced to this point. And they will tell us something. Um, And maybe they'll tell us a lot. Uh, If it turns out either Ennis or Ortiz is not quite all they currently seem to be, then Lippinetz and Hooker are good enough to expose that. Uh, But you know, to go back to our recent top five list topic, I don't think Boots Ennis or uh, Virgil Ortiz are, are going to be busts. Uh They might yeah. be my two favorite 23 or under fighters in the whole sport right now. Uh, so, yeah, these are good tests. We, ha- we have some good fights to look forward to a couple of months from now. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, we have a strong co-main in our news segment. We'll focus on the 168-pound division here. First, on Saturday night, the Caleb Bull turned out to be fairly forgettable. Caleb Plant dominating Caleb Truax over 12 rounds, winning 120 to 108 across the board, bloodying and lumping up Truax early, showing by far the superior hand speed, boxing ability, and defense but proving unable to put Truax away, perhaps a consequence of what Plant says may have been a broken hand that he suffered around the fourth round. And while we're talking super middleweight news, Canelo Alvarez is, as expected, reportedly going to be making his Cinco de Mayo defense against Billy Joe Saunders on either May 1st or May 8th, assuming he defeats Avni Yildirim next month and doesn't suffer an injury. Uh, Kieran, Your thoughts on what this all means for the 168-pound division? Uh, To take Plant first,
1: it wasn't a great fight at a time where Plant, I think, could have really done with a great fight, you know, to stake his claim as the person who Canelo needs to go through to to become the top dog at 168. Um, But it was dominant. Um, Plant doesn't seem like the kind of guy who makes excuses, right? I suspect he legitimately badly damaged his hand. And and maybe he would have scored a stoppage without it. But who knows? Uh, he was otherwise completely dominant. Um, the, the slight problem for, for Caleb Plant is that we know what the eye test tells us, that he's an excellent boxer with good defense and decent pop. He, he still hasn't proven that against truly top-rate talent. It, it would have done him a lot of good. It would have been a real statement as to who he is had he actually been able to take on a guy like Caleb Drax and really get him out of it there right um but still a win is a win um the one slight problem that i think for him that may end up happening or or, or showing up is that uh it looks as if david benavides will face ronald ellis on showtime uh right. shortly uh, benavides will wipe the floor with ronald ellis um he'll look spectacular um and memories are short right. and you know so w- if canelo comes victorious out of billy joe Saunders fight in may and is looking for the next opponent if Benavides just destroys Ronald Ellis, he's gonna to be top of people's mind. He's gonna have that kind of extra factor to make him uh, probably put him at the at the front of that list. Um so so that's the issue there for Caleb Plant. But I do think, you know, the Canelo news shows that I think it emphasizes that the reason for his split with Golden Boy and for a wilder zone really wasn't the money. It said he really wanted to fight and taking on Callum Smith, Avni Yildirim and Billy Joe Saunders inside six months is, is freaking old school and badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if, you know, under the old arrangement that he had with his the own, they wouldn't have regarded probably any of them as marquee fights. Um, you know, there was a time where I thought that Saunders was all wrong for Canelo, but I think that Saunders is a best plateaued and Canelo is going from strength to strength. Um, I think Canelo probably you know, smokes him and then does helpfully set us up you know, for a fight against Plant or Benavidez, or to be fair, maybe Ronald Ellis, although I rather doubt it. Um, but I do think that this shows that those fights are going to happen at some point. At some point, as long as Caleb Plant stays undefeated, he's going to fight, uh, going to get a chance against Canelo. As long as Benavidez stays undefeated, he's going to get a chance against Canelo. Canelo is clearly focused on collecting all the trinkets at 168 right now. Yeah, seems that way uh we have a packed news undercard too. uh keith eidick and jake donovan of boxing scene report that adrian bronner's opponent for his february 20th comeback bout on showtime will be unbeaten giovanni santiago uh and another fight that is apparently close a heavyweight bout between alexander usick and joe joyce which sounds incredibly intriguing to me um but that's all just that's the boring, easy to talk about undercard news there. Uh, we have also a bunch of info about one out of left field matchups and two circus attractions. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on this, but there is increasing noise that's come out of nowhere, really, and just went from a rumor to something that sounds like it might be on the verge of happening. Uh, A possibility of a Ryan Garcia-Manny Pacquiao bout, which apparently would be at Welterweight, although Garcia has, to this point, uh, campaigned at Lightweight, and I must confess I find this idea absolutely fascinating. Um, Pacquiao's old rival Floyd Mayweather, however, seemingly won't be returning to the ring, as his exhibition with Logan Paul, slated for February 20th, has been called off. Reasons given are, quote, COVID and other things. There's no information on whether the other things include the fact that it was stupid. Um... (laughs) Talking of which, uh, Jason Carapessi brought my attention to a tweet from Brody Logan, who's a morning anchor on an NBC affiliate in California. Uh, Brody uh, received an email survey from the Hard Rock Hollywood Casino in Florida, which stated unequivocally that in May there will be, quote, a 10-round heavyweight boxing match between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield held at Hard Rock Stadium in South Florida. He goes on to state that there will be limited in-person seating possibilities as well as a pay-per-view streaming option. Uh, We knew that Mike wanted this, that Evander wanted this. Is this an accidental scoop? Are talks more advanced than
0: we realized? What do you think about that one? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of interesting stuff here that, that we grouped together. Um, why don't I, I'll, I'll approach them in order from least interesting to me to most interesting to me. Uh, so least interesting, Mayweather versus Paul. Uh, for what it's worth, officially, they're saying postpone, not mm. off, but... At no point have I had any interest in this. If it happens, people will make money. I am not one of those people, so I don't <laughs> care. And I will not be one of those people who helps them make money, yeah, not correct. paying one penny to watch this if it happens. Um, so Tyson Holyfield 3, this does feel somewhat inevitable. It has from the moment Tyson versus Jones made all that money. So yeah, we, we might have a scoop here. I haven't heard anyone else uh, report on this. Uh, again, I will not be paying a penny for it, but... I do want to see Evander collect a payday if he can do so without getting hurt and without Tyson getting hurt. Uh, Next for me would be Pacquiao versus Garcia. Uh, As of Sunday morning, though, Golden Boy, Garcia's promoter, is denying that this is a serious possibility. Uh, I have no idea whether they really know what's going on with Ryan (laughs) Garcia or not at this point. Um, I agree with you that it's a fascinating fight. I get why both sides would want it. It's an intriguing matchup at this stage in their respective careers, but probably not worth us getting too worked up over until we have reason to believe it's actually close to being signed. And that means that uh, if I'm saving the best for last, uh, for me, Usyk versus Joyce is the, the news item I want to focus on most here. That is a real fight. Pure skill versus pure strength. It would be fascinating to see if Usyk could do what most of us thought Daniel Dubois was going to do against Joyce, uh, but I ain't underestimating Joe Joyce anymore. Yeah, he's slow. He's kind of one-dimensional, but uh, I underrated him. Yep. He's a very yep. tough out. This is a tremendous fight, and the winner is very well positioned right underneath Fury and Joshua in what is a legitimately really hot heavyweight division right now.
1: So that means the Adrian Bronner news is the most interesting one to you? Oh, yes,
0: right. I hadn't gotten to that. Uh, Yeah, let's wait for Showtime to make that announcement (laughs) official, and we'll be, uh, I'm sure, previewing that fight in full uh, if, indeed, Giovanni Santiago is the opponent.
1: Indeed so. Yeah, I'm with you on Usyk Joyce. Uh, I'm looking forward to that being confirmed, as it seems it might be. That is fascinating. Uh, All right. It is time for this week's Tweet of the Week, which features a fighter we've talked about already today. Uh, It bends the rules a little because it's actually an Instagram post of the week, Uh, but plenty of people tweeted about it, so it counts. Um, (laughs) It is from Sergei Kovalev, Mm. who last Sunday posted a picture of himself with four holes in his shoulder and revealed that he had tried the cambo ceremony on himself. Uh, for those who don't know, this refers to the toxins secreted by the Amazonian tree frog. I'm not making this up, um, which Amazonian peoples have apparently used for a long time. Uh, the, Kovalev's post was in Russian, but they sort of like auto-translate of the post, which seems to have been cut and posted from, some, pasted from somewhere. Uh, Sergei wrote, um, the frog is caught... Then tied tightly to four sticks placed in the ground and its limbs are stretched between the sticks. This causes the frogs to be tense enough to activate its immune system and release the peptide from its skin. Honestly, he wrote, the procedure is unpleasant. Uh, And here the translation doesn't quite work out. Uh, It's a bit muddled. But it says, because of the condition, I was under the same substance for 10 to 15 minutes. But at the end of the ceremony, you are so glad it's over. So apparently the deal is that... Somebody, like, makes these little holes normally in your shoulder or in your abs, and then you put the frog toxin in there, into mm. the, the holes. Now, look, I'm just a small-town country podcaster, <laughs> so I don't know much about this. But it turns out that just a few weeks ago, the New York Times published an article on this. Apparently, it is a becoming quite the trendy thing among, to quote the the New York Times, West Coast wellness influences, which sound like the kind of people I would like to punch in the face. But um, the article opens with this. It's like you're having a fever or a major allergic reaction, said Julia Allison, 39. Um, Then your face starts to blow up. They call it frog face, Miss Allison said. It kind of looks like a celebrity plastic surgeon went to town on your face, like Kim Kardashian in a funhouse mirror. And then suddenly you are unbelievably nauseous. You're basically going from zero to the worst flu of your life within 60 seconds. And the article goes on. uh, Cambo, long used by some indigenous tribes in South America as a sort of rainforest vaccine, is not a recreational drug. You don't trip in the tangerine trees and marmalade sky sense. Instead, you vomit. Uh, Later on, it notes that at its peak, or is it nadir, subjects can find themselves projectile vomiting into plastic buckets for 15 to 40 minutes or running to the bathroom with gastric distress. (laughs) After the worst passes, they often peer into their buckets and analyze the color of the discharge to gauge the treatment's effectiveness. I don't know really what else to say about any of this. Um, Apparently, a lot of people in response to Sergey's post said that apparently Mike Tyson and Joe Rogan go on about this at length on their various podcasts, like mm. they're devotees. So make of that what you will. Um, Sergey apparently is on some kind of ongoing quest, is all I have to say. At first, people thought that this was his excuse for failing... Uh, oh. Scrutinize, <laughs> you know, right, right? But it's not. It's just. It's just another thing he's put into his body, is, is what the deal is. And be it going to a Greek monastery or imbibing the poison from an Amazonian frog, one way or the other, he's he's trying to find himself and go on all kinds of different quests. But the one thing I have to say is that voluntarily doing something that supposedly makes you feel better by making you feel absolutely horrendous
0: all seems very appropriate for the times that we're living in <laughs> yes mm, all right so I, I have i have two quick uh, responses i think i i will um, be much more brief on this than than you were in explaining uh, the, the whole the whole thing here my first reaction is the first thing i thought of was beavis and butthead licking a frog yes! to try to get high <laughs> That was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, that is my only previous experience with knowing about people using frogs for any purposes remotely along these lines. Um, and the second thought that I have on this is I'd like to go back and change my answer from earlier. I am going to say let's change the decision in Ward Kovalev 1. If Sergey winning that fight means that he never pokes those holes in his body and uses these frog toxins or whatever and i never have to hear about it in the tweet of the week segment then uh let's go ahead and uh, change history on that one kovalev defeats ward in their first fight there you go
1: there you go and nobody spends 40 minutes projectile vomiting into a bucket (laughs) exactly well not for that reason anyway (laughs) all right Uh, i think that's probably uh that's probably enough of that i don't think we can really follow up from that so let's just call a halt to this shall we um let's uh yep that'll do it i think for another edition (laughs) steve steve
0: smoker is stepping in he's he's waving it off (laughs) even he's seen enough that's right exactly uh
1: thanks again to Stephen fulton for joining us which feels like so long ago now so many (laughs) things have been discussed since then uh and thanks to all of you for your great mailbag questions and top five list feedback we will be back next week until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and will be right and anyway. be